welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 20 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 25th of October 2009, entitled The Fundamentals, His Visible Return, Part 5. And the Bible reading is taken from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to be opening your Bible to the book of Revelation chapter 5 this morning. Of course, as we continue today in our series, we're up to sermon number 20 in this current series on contending for the faith. And, uh, and of course, one of the fundamentals of the faith that we need to contend for and not waver are those fundamental truths about the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And as we've been looking at a number of those truths. We're on the importance of his visible return. And, uh, and as we continue to, uh, to look there today, I'm going to uh, pull a little bit of a, an unusual one today because we're going to be looking on this subject this morning and this evening because with the anniversary next week, I don't want to stop and leave off part way through. So if you're not able to be here on the evening and you're following the series, then uh, please, uh, you can let us know. You can either download it off the website or uh, we can get you a copy of it if you would like that. Um, Revelation chapter 5, I invite you to uh, stand to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong and a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. John said, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth unto all the earth. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times, ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth 
and such as were in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for, yes, health and strength to be able to be here gathered together with our brothers and sisters in Christ in your house today. But, Father, we thank you that one day, Lord, you did love us enough that you were willing to reach down by your grace and to save our souls. And, Father, we know that was not because of anything we deserved on our part, but because of your compassion and mercy and love towards us. Father, we thank you for your spirit that lives and dwells within and that only through him Lord, can we have understanding of this, your word, for which we thank you for preserving and keeping here for us. Father, as we gather today to worship you, I pray, Lord, that our minds would be freed from any distractions. I pray that our hearts would be open to that which you would have for us. Lord, you know the hearts of each individual that is here today, and you know the needs of each and every one of those hearts better than we know ourselves. Our hearts can deceive us but they'll never deceive you. So, Father, we pray for the anointing of thy spirit today. We pray, Lord, that your word would find a resting place in each and every heart, that it would be made alive unto our souls, that the lost might be saved, that the backslider might be restored, that the Christian might be built up and encouraged and, yes, challenged afresh. May you give to each one that which only you can give. May you receive all the glory and honor for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. We began to look at the details of the action of the visible return, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, some of you have your timelines that uh, I gave you. And of course, as I said, if you got one of the uh, first editions, the second edition, the third edition, there's little things keep getting uh, uh, added on it. You can only put so much on one A4 size sheet of paper, though, and uh, there's always like well, fit. There's just one little more thing in there that uh, that might be a help. But as you see on the screen above you, basically this is just a a timeline of what we call the visible return, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the events that surround that. And of course, we have already looked. We said that. Uh, First of all, the first stage of his second coming is what we refer to and call the rapture of the church. Now, the word rapture is nowhere in the Bible, and yet the truth is clearly taught, as we have seen in Scripture, of we, the saints, being called out of here, caught up to meet him in the air. And, of course, that's why that you'll see, as we looked at last week, that during this period of time between the first stage and the second stage of his coming, the first stage in the air to call the saints from the earth, the second stage him coming to the earth with his saints to set up his kingdom here upon the earth. And of course, a seven-year period in between that separates these two stages of this great event known as the second coming. And we looked last week at those events during that period that are taking place in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ and at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And of course, as we read here this morning in Revelation chapter 5, this is a pretty glorious scene. 
I mean, first of all, it starts out pretty sad for, for John as he is seeing these uh, happenings take place there because he was God on the throne, but there is absolutely nobody anywhere that can be found worthy to remove the seals from that book. But one and one alone is found, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, he takes it. And, of course, because of that, we see rejoicing breaking out in heaven. And there's a glorious time that's taking place there as they worship. And there are tens of thousands of tens of thousands of thousands. And, of course, I believe with all my heart, I will be there as one of those many thousands. And if you're here today and if you've been bought by the blood of Christ, if you've been washed in his blood, if you've been born again, I believe that you will be there. Either one of those dead in Christ that were raised first or one of those that we're remaining that was caught up and changed in the air. And we'll be there. And of course, we find that it is this moment in time that we're looking at here in chapter 5. It is this instance of this one and one only that is able to open the seven seals of that book that begins to break out the happenings of what takes place here upon earth at that time. Now, I pointed out to you that in the book of Revelations chapter 6 through Revelations chapter 18, we find great detail of what is taking place here upon earth at that time. Now, I've done a revised chart for you that uh, I will print you off some copies. And again, keep in mind, please, I know we took years to go through this one page on this A4 sheet, years to go through it. We're not about to get into a whole lot of detail in a couple of sermons on a Sunday to be able to do it. But remember, we can come back to this maybe at some point. It's been quite a while since we went through it. But the thing is, this is just simply when we went through the book of Revelation verse by verse because many people are frightened because of all the symbolism. They find it so hard to understand. But the whole purpose of this chart was just simply to show it's not hard to understand. God gave it to us so that we could understand it. That's why it's there. And of course, this lays out the things that uh, are taking place during that period. And that's what we want to begin to take just a look at. We saw what's taking place in heaven. We saw that when we get there, there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ that is going to be awaiting. If you remember where each and every child of God, every believer will give an account for that which he's done in this body, in this life, not as to whether he is a child of God or whether he is saved, because it's only the saved that are there in the first place. But according to how we have lived that life as a Christian, and there will be rewards that will be dished out. Rewards that will be given. And the Bible speaks of different crowns that will be given. And we, we talked about some of the things that will happen with that. And of course, come the end of that, then we're going to have what is known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it is there that the bride, the church, will be presented spotless to the groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the bridegroom. And the simple truth is, is that, again, I hope and trust and pray because as we look at the Word of God again today, it is not my plans nor my desire to have a lecture on the details this morning. I want to encourage and challenge you. Remember 
Why are we going through this series of contending for the faith? Because it's vital. It's important. We live in a day when people are being knocked about by every wind of doctrine. We live in a day when many people, they, they think they know this, or they think they know that, or they think they believe this, or they think they believe that. But the truth is the Bible teaches very clearly that there will be those that will be slipping in unawares. And we've got to be ready and we've got to be prepared. And we said there is only one foundation and that foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And there is one basis for our faith and that's the word of God that we have in our hands. I want you to know not just what you think you believe, but I want you to know why you believe what you believe. Because if you believe it just because somebody else has told you, then you're liable to change your mind when somebody else comes along and tells you something different and they put up a good argument for it. But I can assure you this. The things that I will not waver from, the things that I stand solid on, are those things that I've seen in God's Word and I know because He has taught me that is the basis of our faith. That's what we must build it upon. Not just what sounds good. Not just what sounds practical. Not what we might think is rational. But because God says it, and that's it. And of course we said, okay, fine. <laughs> Every religious organization out there in the world is saying, we're doing it because God says it. <laughs> and even those that would call themselves Christian are saying, we're doing it because the Bible says it. So you say, well, how am I supposed to know what the truth is? Because you will be judged not by what somebody else has said. Not by what some organization or some church declares. You will be judged based upon God's work. That's the book that will be open when you stand before God. And there is no excuse for a Christian not to go to God's word and to find the truth for himself and to base his faith upon it. Yes, God has given gifts to the church. He's given them pastors. He's given them evangelists. He's given them these elders to teach and to preach. But everything must be based upon the Word of God. So you can take or leave what we say as a church today, but if it can do anything to challenge you into God's Word to see what God's Word says about it, then at least something good will have been accomplished. So this heavenly scene that we looked at last week, the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb, and here we are, that's exactly where we are in chapter 5 of the book here. We are in a situation you will see literally, as I've outlined it on the chart on the screen, right there where, first of all, the book of Revelation starts with the seven churches, which I believe has all the purposes of, of both, yes, literal churches that John was writing to at that time in history. I also believe that you can look at it and you can see that it's, it's a spread of history as we go through, and we are in that final one, the Laodicean, the lukewarm church age. And I also believe that in every age that's ever been, that you can find a church somewhere that will fit into one of these categories, we can judge ourselves as churches on God's Word as to what He thinks of those churches. But then we move into chapter 4 and chapter 5, and we find that this is what I've, I've noted there. First of all, the heavenly vision that we have, have, have read about, and of course, this is the point in time that the rapture has taken place here upon earth, and we have this heavenly vision then, this heavenly scene that's taking place in heaven. But I want you to notice in chapter 6 of your Bibles. It says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. 
And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Folks, that is what we know as the Antichrist entering the scene here upon this earth. You see, at the same time that we are going up to meet Jesus in the air, to be with him there, these events are going to be taking place here upon the earth at the same time. And of course, it is the opening of this book, the seal, that is the, if you would, the kicking off of what we know as the great tribulation period here upon this earth. The first seal that's broken is the Antichrist coming forth. Notice in verse 3 and 4, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon, Take peace from the earth, and they that, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. We see the Antichrist coming on the scene. We see the second seal broken. And we see war beginning to break out all over this place. Notice in verse 5 and 6, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see, thou hurt not the oil in the wine. What's happened now? They've got no food. We see famine breaking out across this world. I want you to grasp and understand something. This is, as we said last week, one of the great purposes in studying and understanding the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is that if you are here and you are a child of God today, number one, it should lift you like nothing else to know that that trumpet could sound at any moment, that you could be out of here, that you wouldn't have to face sin, another temptation in your life, another problem, another difficulty, that finally sin would be defeated. We thank God for the forgiveness of our sin, but we still live with it and the results of it around us all the time. And the second gumming in one should, should lift us, and second of all, it should challenge us. If we truly believe, as we're seeing here in Scripture, that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent, that it can come at any time, that there is nothing hindering it whatsoever, I'd say, where's as Brother Stephen said, I was going to say that, you know, the, the question came up in the Bible study this morning, you know, as to whether the things that we do here upon this earth could have anything upon the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, reasonably, some people can say yes, but I say a resounding no, absolutely not. We have absolutely no control whatsoever. If that were the case, there would always be the possibility that we would mess off and he would never come back again because we didn't get our job done. He's not dependent upon us to accomplish his work. We are responsible because he's left us with a great responsibility to accomplish. But it will be accomplished, and you keep this in mind. God already knew how faithful you would be when he died for you on the cross. God already knew that your failings and every shortcoming that you have when he died for you on the cross, when he saved your soul. Matter of fact, he knew before he ever created the first man in the Garden of Eden it's hard for us. He already knew. And even Jesus Christ himself, nobody knows the time of the hour except the Father himself. And he will come at his appointed time in the fullness of time. Just like when Jesus Christ came forth to be born in the manger, it was God's perfect timing. And it'll be God's perfect timing. How will he find us? 
You know, it's an awesome thing. Because for Christians, we should ask ourselves, am I ready and happy to face God with my life right now? If I don't have the opportunity to do anything else for him, as long am I happy to meet him and face him right now? Now, I'm not saying get prideful. <laughs> don't start thinking how lucky God is to have you. But I'm saying we have enough senses about ourselves to use the Word of God, to examine ourselves as we do each time when we come to the Lord's table and these different things, to examine ourselves by His Word, by His rule, not one against the other, not what everybody else is doing out there, not what the other churches are doing, not what the other Christians are doing, but against God's only rule, His rule, His measure. Jesus Christ, the living Word which you hold in your hands, that's what we measure ourselves against. So we find that by the same token, you need to grasp this this morning. If you're not one of those that is ready, I mean ready, that at your next heartbeat, it could be the last, you could be facing God with your next. If you're not ready for that, you need to grasp and understand. We're going to go through this fast, but it ought to be slow enough that you recognize and understand you do not want to be on planet Earth during this seven years between stage one and stage two of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The rapture when he calls his church out of here and his second coming when he comes back with his saints to set up his kingdom to reign for a thousand years upon this earth before the new heaven and the new earth. We find that you will grasp. You will grasp horrors that man has never seen or imagined or even been able to think of. And as he goes through that's exactly what is taking place here. We see, first of all, the Antichrist come riding in himself to take control. We see war breaking out like war has never been. We think it's bad sometimes, and it has been. I mean, you think of the atrocities that man is capable of in destroying and killing one another, and yet nothing like what's going to happen then. We see famine. We see worldwide that, that people don't have the food that they need in, able to be able, in order to be able to eat and to survive. Then notice what it says in verse 7 and 8. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast saying, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death with all the beasts of the earth. One out of every four people upon the face of the earth is going to die and it's not nice deaths that they're dying at that point in time when that fourth seal is open. A fourth of the population of the earth. Notice in verses 9 to 11, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Now we could say a lot of things here. Folks, don't get the funny idea. And we'll look at some things to hopefully make this clear. Don't get the funny idea. Well, you know, if what you're saying is true, one of these days when I see all these quote-unquote Christians disappear, boy, I'll know then it's time to get things right. I'll believe in God then. I'll know that it's all true. 
No, first of all, according to what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, there's going to be a blind put over. If you've heard and rejected it already, you think, you think now, you've got the church here. You've got every believer walking around that has the Spirit of God living and dwelling within them. And hopefully for a lot of them, that that Spirit is controlling their lives in the fullness of it. Suddenly, they're all gone. They're all out of here. Now you have the Antichrist that set himself up to rule. The Bible says not only they're going to be blind, but there will be some people being saved during the seven years of tribulation. I believe if you study it out, you'll find, though, that it's those that have not had the, the gospel presented to them here, and they will have the opportunity to receive and accept the gospel. He's going to have the two witnesses, which we'll see as we go through. He's going to call out his 144,000 evangelists, which I believe literally is going to be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Right now, he's using the church to get his message out. When we get into the book of Revelation during the seven years of tribulation, he's going to use the nation of Israel again to get his word out. And the 144,000 evangelists are going to come forth. And yes, souls are going to be saved. But you know what we see right here? It's going to cost them their life. You think that sometimes now it's hard to stand up and boldly proclaim that I'm a child of God, that I'm a Christian because somebody might snicker at you, because somebody might think that you're not cool, <laughs> because somebody might actually make fun of you and mock you and all of these things that are so horrible. <laughs> While even as we sit here this morning with the great freedoms that we enjoy, some of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, today is costing them their lives in some parts of this world to stand up for Jesus. But during the seven years of tribulation, there won't be a place like this. There won't be the freedoms to be able to stand up and say, I'm a Christian. Now, if you're a child of God, and if you don't have the mark of the beast, it's simply going to cost you your life. That's the blood that they see here. And yet he says, wait just a little while longer. Why? Remember, the church is being called out of here. So at the beginning of the seven years of tribulation, those that God calls forth his witnesses and God calls forth his evangelists, that the word might still go out to those here upon this earth. During that time, some of them are going to be saved. But at the end of that seven years, we'll find that they'll be called forth again. Right now, right now, just like our brothers and sisters in Christ that die in this life, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But for that body to be resurrected, that will take place at the rapture when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and calls us forth out of those graves for these tribulation saints to stand up and say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. You'll find absolutely and positively that it will cost them their lives to do so. Notice Picking up in verse 12, I've simply listed on your chart here is total anarchy upon this earth. Oh, we hear that word tossed around a good bit today, but notice what it says here, picking up in verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and though there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is taken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every freeman 
hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand? Things are going to get so bad. This earth is going to be in such a catastrophic, geographically, um, materially, financially, in every other way. The Bible says they're going to be literally crying for the mountains to fall on them, to hide them so that they don't have to face God, so that they don't have to go through another day. But the truth is, there is no getting away from facing God. You see, you say, wow, we serve a loving God, and yet these things sound so horrible. It doesn't make sense. Oh, yes, it does if you understand the horrors of sin. You see, these things happen not because that there is a presence of God, but because there is no presence of God in man. And the truth is, all of sin in this sinful world must be destroyed because it's sin that's brought all the ravages and all the death. If we can begin to understand just how horrible that that really is. You see, you don't want to be here and be a part of that. We find that in the next chapter of your Bible, the Bible specifically in chapter 7, verses 1 through 17, we're not going to take time and read that, but it talks about those that are saved during this tribulation period. Praise God. Praise God, there will be some. There will be some. And I believe that the greatest majority of them are going to be more of the nation of Israel. But there will be some that will be saved. And of course, then as you move into chapter 18, and this, it's on you, this happens in several. You'll notice on your chart, not because it's magical, not because it's hocus pocus. It's set up as just a simple, easy graph to study. Seven sevens is the way that it's broken down that the book of Revelation just simply lends itself to if we look at it in that fashion and follow it through verse by verse. We find that in a couple of the instances, God has this little intervention, and that's why you, you see there on your, uh, on your uh, uh, chart that it says saved in tribulation. Now, this is happening during the tribulation period here upon this earth. But this is a time of encouragement <laughs> to let God's people know there will still be people that will be turning to Christ during that time. And I want you to notice in chapter 8, verse 1, what happens when the seventh seal is opened? tells you on your chart just a simple word, silence. It says, and when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now, what is that all about? Do you remember the scene in heaven? You can go back and you can read some more of the scenes in heaven, the heavenly vision and whatnot that's taking place in heaven. I mean, it is a noisy place, folks. <laughs> if you don't like rejoicing, if you don't like praising the God, then you're going to be out of place in heaven, I can promise you. Because it's going to be noisy. They're going to be, they're going to be praising. They're going to be singing that new song that they were talking about, rejoicing and magnifying him because he's worth it all. When this seventh seal is opened, it is so shocking to every soul in heaven what it appears that literally for half an hour, the Bible says, not a word is spoken. The shock is so great that there's silence. Because you see, when that seventh seal is broken, you see next there, that underneath that seventh seal are the seven trumpets that come forth from that seal. 
And when they break open that seventh seal and then there's these seven trumpets, they cannot believe what's before their eyes. They're speechless. And we find then in chapter 8 through chapter 11, that we find that all of these, and again, I don't have time this morning. You can take and you can read it, and I'll print off some of these charts and you can take them home with you. But you'll find that I've, I've got it spelled out there for you. If you look on the, on the overhead, of first of all, when the first trumpet sounds, there's going to be hail, there's going to be fire, and it's all going to be mingled with blood, and it's literally going to fall out of the sky upon this earth when the first trumpet sounds. And it's going to be so bad that one-third of all the trees on planet Earth are going to be burned up and every bit of grass that exists is going to be gone. It's going to be burned up during that event. And then there's going to be a second trumpet. And with this second trumpet, and it's some, uh, I didn't have room to put it on there, it's a mountain of fire. Some see it as a volcano. Some see it as a, a meteorite or something, some kind of comet from outer space. We don't know all that speculation anyway. The truth is, the Bible says, and, and you know, I've told you this before. Mark it down. When you're reading the book of Revelation, notice those words that keep appearing, as it were, as it were, as it were, a mountain of fire. You see, John's looking, and he doesn't know how to put this. You know, when we explain things to people, you know, I've said before, you know, that when you try to describe something that somebody's never seen or heard of before, the only way you can do it is say, well, it's kind of like this. And you explain it to them by using something that they do know. And that's what he's using in the Word of God. You know, some of the things, we don't know exactly what it is, but in seeing what was taking place, the only way he could describe it to us for us to get some kind of an idea is that it's this mountain of fire and it's going to come forth. And when it comes forth, it's going to hit and literally notice that it tells you there that one-third of the sea is going to turn to blood. And that's going to destroy one-third of the sea life that lives at that part of the sea. And it's going to destroy one-third of the ships that are on that sea. Now people can speculate, why, what, what's, you know, what's this mountain of fire? What's it going to do? And there's all kinds, even today, it's not hard for scientists to figure out the chemical reactions that can come forth from something that catastrophic taking place. I'm telling you that suddenly a third of the sea life is going to be wiped out in the ships. But then notice the third trumpet sounds. And the Bible says there's this great falling star that comes from heaven. And when it comes from heaven, it literally, the Bible uses the word wormwood, it's going to poison one-third of all the water on planet Earth. It's not going to be drinkable. You're not going to be able to drink it. And then a fourth trumpet is going to sound. And here a third of the sun and the moon and the stars are literally going to be darkened. Can you stop and imagine what it would be like for suddenly a third of the sun, the stars, and the moon to be darkened. Do you know what that's going to do to the temperatures on this place? They're going to go from fire falling out of heaven and into the seas to suddenly being darkened and the temperatures dropping and it being, again, a horrific place to be. And then in the fifth one, the keys to the bottomless pit. We've talked about that bottomless pit. It was on your, your other one. That's where Satan was bound for or is going to be bound for a thousand years coming up. The truth is that when they open that up, the Bible speaks of the smoke and the locust that will come out and attack the people. A sixth trumpet will sound. That's when the Antichrist, what I simply call his demon army, the Bible speaks there of unclean spirits, which is a, a typical word for speaking of the demons from hell. He's going to come forth 
with his demonic forces. And we find that literally again, the Bible tells us that during that event, remember, a fourth of the population has already been wiped out. Now, of those that are remaining, another third of them are going to be wiped out in one blow when this trumpet sounds and the Antichrist rides forth with his demonic forces. Folks, it's not going to be a very nice place to be. We, we can't even begin. I mean, people have tried to write books about it. People have tried to make movies about it. People have tried to, to describe it, and the truth is... We don't have anything to compare it to. I mean, we've seen a, some horrid starvation, but not worldwide. We've seen horrible wars, and we've even called them world wars, but they weren't really fighting all over the world. We've never begun to imagine what takes place when even the elements themselves begin to turn. And what it's going to be like. And you can't imagine. I can tell you this. I hope and pray that you can get enough of a vision about what we're talking about here this morning. That you can understand at least to some degree. You do not want to be here for that. And there is only one way not to be here. And that's to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. It's your sins that will take you through this. But those sins can be cleansed this morning. They can be taken away. We need to realize. Now, I know, and God bless our brothers and sisters in Christ out there to think that all this is just a bunch of symbolism. Matter of fact, a lot of them think we've done gone through all this and we're already living in the millennial. <laughs> well, that's not the millennium that I'm looking forward. I'm tell you, I can tell you that right now. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if they want to take and, and symbolize all this away, then that's fine. I'm not saying that I have all the answers. I'm saying I'm going to take and believe what God says. And yes, I do believe that these are literal events. It's what's going to take place upon this earth. And friends, you do not want to be here to experience what's being pictured for us here in the book of Revelation. You don't want to be here. But there's only one way not to be here. That's to know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Oh, we find that that seventh trumpet is going to sound. And I want you to look in chapter 11. Oh, I do want to read this just for you Christians this morning. Chapter 11. Chapter 11. Notice, notice that we're going to jump over because it's going to go back uh, here in, in, in chapter 10. And the first part of, of chapter 11 is speaking of the mighty angel and the little book and the, the times of the Gentiles. And he talks about these two witnesses that even the Antichrist is not going to be able to destroy them. But then we come up to chapter 11 and verse 15. Notice it says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. 
And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great whale. It's not quiet in heaven now. <laughs> you see the seventh trumpet when it sounds. It tells you, yes, boy, this is pretty horrible. It's hard to even comprehend and imagine all that's taking place here. And oh, you haven't, you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> you haven't seen anything. As a matter of fact, the vials and the dooms and all those things haven't even taken place yet. We find that in heaven, you know, God, a lot of times, again, he takes these pulses for encouragement. The seventh trumpet is a reminder. Victory is the Lord's. <laughs> we go back to a heavenly scene. We realize that, yes, he will, literally, his kingdom will be sent up, and he will reign eternally, it teaches us there. There's no losing on his side. And, of course, that's the real question for you this morning. And we're going to come back, and we're going to attempt to finish off that chart this evening real quick and real swift. I want you to understand. I want you to just get a glimpse of what is taking place. If we take the Bible for what it says, we don't just make these things up. We don't just, you know, call ourselves these tags and all because we don't have anything better to do. They describe our position on taking and believing God's word for what he says. And, you know, what did I tell you? The little thing when plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. People try to make God's Word hard to understand many times. Take it for what it says. Here, time and time and time again in Revelation, He tells you, He tells you when He says, as it were, as it were, He tells you this is not exactly what I'm saying. This is what it's going to be like. This is what's going to happen, and this is the best way I know for you to understand how that's going to take place. He doesn't hide it from you. These are literal events. And yes, he uses symbology to help us to picture what these literal events that are taking place really are. Are you ready for the Lord Jesus Christ today? Christians, we sang that great song, Victory in Jesus. The victory is ours. It is. We know that we're going to be triumphant. But all these, these, these scenes ought to drive us can I ask you this? And I don't, I don't say this to break your heart this morning, and yet I think that probably most of our hearts need to be broken. Is this the kind of scene that you want your family, friends, and loved ones that are not saved and ready to go to heaven? There's only two paths at this point, the heavenly one and the earthly one. You know, where do you want your friends and family to be? You know, this ought to jolt us. It ought to make us realize, yes, we need to tell them. I know they might get upset with me. I know they're not going to like But we need to tell them. We need to warn them. We need to see them come to at least have the opportunity of knowing the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing what they will face. And this is only the beginning. This is only the beginning of eternity. It ought to drive us forth. It ought to drive us forth to be great soul winners for him. I am convinced. Yes, we are here to encourage one another. You know, the Bible says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, we need to encourage and lift each other up and we need to be built up one with another, but it needs to be on the basis of his truth, upon his word. We have no greater, why? Why do we need to be so strong? Why do we need to be straight and solid in our faith? Because each and every one of us, the last words our Lord left us with 
was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I don't care what else you do with your life or what else I do with mine. There is nothing that's more important than our lives being used of God if it keeps one person I've shared you with my testimony before. I had to come and believe with everything in my heart that if I spent the rest of my life preaching God's Word, if I spent the rest of it and it kept one person out of hell, that would be worth more than all that I could ever accomplish in the business world. And that's true with you and everyone else. There is nothing in all this worth. What shall it profit a soul if he shall gain the whole world, lose his own soul? I'm saying it ought to drive us. Yes, we can be excited about the scenes in heaven, but the scenes on earth ought to drive us to do something about it. Or can we walk out those doors today? Hmm. I've got brothers. I've got sisters. I've got moms. I've got dads. I've got uncles. I've got aunts. I've got grandchildren. I've got people living next door to me, people working beside me on the job. I've got all these people that if that first trumpet of the Lord sounds and the rapture takes place, that's what they're going to be left with. And that's only the beginning. That's what they're going to be left with. Are we going to go out of here and just hmm, get on with our merry little lives, doing the things that keep us comfortable, the things that we enjoy doing? Are we going to stop and comprehend the importance of reaching everybody we know with the precious truth of Christ? Father, we thank you today for our time that you've given us together once again. Lord, we've scanned over some things very quickly here, but hopefully enough to give us a realization these are the events that are going to be taking place on this earth while you're in heaven with the saints. And Father, we have friends and family and loved ones today that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Father, we need to be doing everything we can. We know we can't save them. We can't make any of them be saved. But may they see Christ in us. May your hand be upon us and using us in such a way that your word could be made alive. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Father, we pray that you might use us and those around us to be able to accomplish your will, that your truth might be shared with those we come in contact with. If there be anyone in our midst today that doesn't know Christ, we pray that you would work in their hearts, that even this day they would not leave this building. And Lord, for each and every Christian, oh, may they be encouraged and rejoicing in, in what's going to take place in these heavenly scenes. But may you challenge us. Lord, there's no point in being on the mountaintop and feeling all great and joyous if we're not accomplishing anything with our lives. May we leave this place more determined than ever that you can use our lives for something worthwhile to reach somebody. Lord, if it reaches one person, it's worth it. And Father, we pray that you would help each one to respond in the way that they need to this day as we give you all the praise and honor for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.